Good old folks, Nova Hall back from Beyond This Earth. We're going to do something a little bit different today, this week actually, since episode 11 is going to be done a little later. It's not really a break. That's why we're doing this section next to go over some of the news items that you may have missed this week, plus certain new things that we will be talking about in two weeks with episode 12 of Beyond This Earth, as we will continue throughout the next couple of weeks, the education special that you will get the first episode of in right now, actually. But we're going to go through some of the space news and very intriguing realities about the Apollo mission that they sort of mentioned, but never really mentioned. Okay. U.S. and Chinese diplomats met in real life for the first time since Balloon Gate. It was a tense meeting. Thousands of people remain missing and 11 been have confirmed dead one week after Cyclone Gabrielle lashed through New Zealand's North Island. Michigan State University is resuming classes today, one week after three students were killed in a shooting rampage on campus. Kellen Preen bested an AI system into four-game goal, averaging a landmark goal victory by computer over a human in 2016. Blacko, an owl that would escape the Central Zoo two weeks ago, will be left in the Great Walls of New York City after zoo officials determined it could feed itself. An FTX investor filed a class action lawsuit against three VC and private equity firms that hacked the failed cryptocurrency company, allegedly they gave it an air to legitimacy. DocuSan announced that it will lay off 10% of its workforce in a continuation of the tech downturn. The cuts will now affect 700 employees. VR2's PlayStation is a great headset that should be cheaper, according to Engadget. Woo! The fitness-focused wearables company will be lowering its prices. Tesla will recall 362,000 vehicles equipped with its full self-driving beta tech after the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration said that the tech increases crash risk, in this case, recall and over-the-air software update. <laughs> Not funny, though. Tencent will be reportedly ditching its virtual reality plans. United Airlines said it will make it easier for families to sit with children under 12 without have to pay an extra fees after politicians, including President Biden, criticize airline fees. Safety regulators have asked Tesla for more information on the deadly commission between one of its cars and a fire truck. More earthquakes hit southern Turkey, leaving three people dead mere weeks after massive quakes in the region killed hundreds of thousands of people. Lego announced that its BTS theme set, it will be the Korean supergroup's market power now that its members are pursuing solo projects and completing military service. A record 6,542 guns were intercepted at U.S. airports by TSA last year. That's about 18 guns per day. Don Lemon is returning as co-host of CNN this morning 
after taking several days off on his controversial remarks about women in their prime. Tesla's Model 3 sells for $4,930 less than the average new vehicle sold in the U.S. per Bloomberg. That's the cheapest it has ever been relative to newer cars. $1,445,000 cans of Emmett Field's Soul B Baby formula are being recalled due to potential bacterial contamination. TikTok is allowing more U.S. researchers to access its API of public anonymized data, though the projects are subject to the company's approval. Starlink is offering some users to ability to test a new global roaming service that will cost about $200 per month to let users connect to almost everywhere around the world on land. Corporate tax breaks are on the rise in the U.S. due to the recently passed federal subsidies for chip makers, EVs, battery makers, and solar panel manufacturers. Google Chrome released updates to aim to make it a bit more energy and memory efficient. Hydrogen-powered flights are beginning to get off the ground. Tesla will begin basing engineering headquarters in California, Elon Musk announced alongside the state's governor, Gavin Newsom, on yesterday. The man convicted of killing hip-hop star Nancy Hustle was sentenced to 60 years to life in prison. Donald Trump's daughter Ivanka Trump and her husband Jared Kushner has been subpoenaed to testify in the criminal probe of the former president's role in the 2021 January 6th Capitol attack, according to the New York Times. Unilever is working to engineer ice cream that stays solid in warmer temperatures, in warmer freezers. The Ben & Jerry's parent owns the freezers in many corner stores and is trying to cut down on gas emissions and energy bills. Bill Gates has purchased a stake in the Dutch company that owns Heineken, even though he is not that much of a beer guy. Sam Bankman-Fried, the disgraced co-founder of FTX, was hit with four more criminal charges, including ones related to political comp- contributions. Carlos Watson, the CEO and founder of Aussie Media, was arrested and charged with fraud. The U.S. nominated former MasterCard CEO Ajay Banga to head up the World Bank. The position will open in July, where David Malpass, the current president, will step down. Secession's upcoming fourth season will be its last. The Live Golf League begins its second season this season. Weekend, the controversial PGA Tour rival has refreshed its branding and put more emphasis on team competition. Interestingly enough, the majority of the CW stations will not air live golf on the majority of those CW stations. The majority of those stations that will air live golf at the time live golf will happen will be mostly Sinclair and and Netstar stations that also have a CW affiliation. Well, a CW affiliation, if they own a Netstar station, they move the Nets golf thing to the Netstar station, or Sinclair will do it on a secondary station where they will host that particular franchise. AWS announced an AI partnership with Hugging Face. Automakers are still grappling with how fast they should accelerate towards EVs. 
TSMC is reportedly facing some internal questions about its decision to build a $40 billion semiconductor factory in Arizona. And Google claimed that it has made major progress towards solving quantum computing's error correction problems. And that is some of the news that happened this week. Some other things that also happened come with the recent issues concerning with East Palestine, and I do want to update on you on what is going on in this particular situation here with East Palestine, Ohio. First off, as I said last week, Trump was there, gave all of the first responders food, um, and he was saying to them, this tragedy should have never taken place. And so on. Pete Buttigieg, which came over about 16 days after this particular event took place, and it was pretty bad, wanted to know, uh, journalists wanted to know why did it take him 18 days to arrive at this place, and his press secretary pretty much shooed the journalists away. We have an update concerning that particular one concerning with the National Transportation Safety Board. The early look, according to, this is from Carl Denninger, but a lot of the information has been said, been talked about the uh, to the NTSB. The early look report is out, and it makes very clear that the Ohio derailment was directly caused by stupidity and entirely inviolable had anyone been able and willing to perform basic math on board the train. Or at Norfolk Southern, or the system in question was deliberately designed to withhold critical safety information. In other words, but by putting people in places in authority where they have absolutely no business being to the point where their best and highest job offer ought to be pushing a broom off the floor, on a floor, whether it's believing two plus two equals 22 or some order insanity would have never happened. This event will never have taken place. The hot bot detectors were working. This is the short form of the explanation and then we'll get into the details. This is from the NTSB. Train N32N was operating within a dynamic brake application as the train passed a Wasta defect detector on the east side of Palestine, Ohio. At milepost MP 9481, the white side defect detector or hot bearing detector HBD transmitted a critical audible alarm message instructing the crew to slow and stop the train to expect a hot hassle. The train engineer increased the dynamic brake application to further slow and stop the train. During this deceleration, an automatically emergency brake application initiated and train 32 and came to a stop. He wants to dissect the paragraph here. Dynamic braking is the use of the electric motor in a diesel electric mo locomotive as a brake. Instead of being coupled to the generator driven by the diesel engine to move the train forward, 
is is connected to a big honking resistor. That's what the bulging sideways thing on the engines is the housing and the fans for those, as you might imagine, they produce a lot of heat when in use. The motor generates electricity through the train's movement, which is intentionally dumped into the resistor. The result is to slow the train instead of accelerating it, much like a Tesla does when you have to use regenerative braking. This implies that the train was descending a mild grade and the dynamic was sufficient enough to control the train's speed. This will be normal for a mild descent where there is no reason to use the service brakes. The dynamic incurs nowhere on the braking proponents and in fact, we know that the train was in control speed-wise. It was operating within the speed limits of this section of track. While the train was being slowed via the dynamic and almost immediate after the hot box detector, the last one went off the emergency brakes, air-driven, actuated. This was almost certainly not yet proved, but I bet we will find it was caused by a violation of the integrity of the airline that powers the service brake system and runs through the length of the train, quite possibly because the fire in the Ansel truck burned right through it. When it happens, the air pressure rapidly collapses on the line and the emergency brake system activates. The engineer on the cam can also command that and the data recorder to show this in fact it was. We will learn this in time. Multiple cars derailed. The probable cause was NTSB investigators identified and examined the first rail car to derail the, 30, the 22nd rail car in the Constance. The surveillance video from a local resident showed what happened to be a wheel bearing in the final stage of overheat failure moments before the derailment. The wheel bearing and effective wheel sit have been collected as evidence and will be examined by the NTSB. The wheel sit in question for publicly released surveillance video was on fire. That will be consistent with the airline burning through. The axle bearing loses its location capacity. It shifts one way, one or both wheels on that axle, jump or destroy the integrity of the rail it is traveling. And once the first truck goes off, it drags the rest of the others off due to the ridiculous amount of momentum on hold. This is very likely the set of events. And what we already knew was already was the direct cause of derailment as he commented on previously. But what we know now is that the progressive failure process was detected with plenty of time and reason to stop. Here is what he said specifically. This is what the NTSB said specifically. Train 32N passed three HVT systems on its trip before the derailment. At MP7, 9.9. The suspect bearing from the 32nd car had a recorded temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit above ambient temperature. When train 
32 in past the net HPD at MP 69.01. The bearings recorded temperature was 103 degrees Fahrenheit above ambient temperature. The third HPD or MP at 49.81 recorded the suspect's bearing to be 250 degrees Fahrenheit above ambient temperature. NS Norfolk Southern has established the following HPD from bomb thresholds above ambient temperature and criteria for bearings. Above 175, 170 degrees Fahrenheit and 200 degrees Fahrenheit. Warm bearing, non-critical, stop, inspect. A difference between bearings on the same axle greater than equal to 115 degrees Fahrenheit, non-critical, stop, and inspect. Greater than 200 degrees Fahrenheit, set out rail car. <coughs> At the first center, the temperature was 50 degree, 50, 38 degrees Fahrenheit above the ambient temperature. 10 miles later, it was 103 degrees Fahrenheit above ambient temperature, just below the stop and expect threshold for differential reading. Nine mile, 19 miles later, it was well above the critical temperature of 253 degrees Fahrenheit. Shortly thereafter, the train derailed. Anyone with a brain in their head knows that if you are above ambient temperature and 10 miles later, you are 100 degrees Fahrenheit above ambient, you had exceeded the stop and expect threshold well before you reached the next detector in 20 miles. And if the failure is progressive and most failures always are, you're well critical threshold and on the first of a catastrophe failure by the time you get there you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know this you simply have to be competent to operate dangerous machinery with no margins that you must not exceed for said machinery to remain safe and know there is a progressive failure showing up in the data That is what exactly what happened and nothing more than basic arithmetic, sixth grade material stuff here, folks, was required for anyone and anyone who saw the data knowing to continue to operate that train was dangerous and quite likely leading to disastrous failure. Therefore, there's only two possibilities. The system did not alert anyone or the crew ignored it. If the system did not alert anyone and everyone involved in that design needs to be tried and thrown in prison for the rest of their miserable lives, and if such a trend is critical information and deliberately not disclosing it to the crew on board, the train is beyond unconscionable, for there's no force son of must pay. If, on the other hand, that the crew knew and ignored it simply because safety lens were not yet breached, Despite the trend change, whoever made that call is accompanied to operate a boom, much less an actual locomotive. The bottom line is that there is no valid reason that the crew did not have 20 miles of fair warning in which to stop and avert the derailment and did not do so. 
We're now down to why they did not stop. Was the system programmed to deliberately withhold that information or did it provide it and the crew ignored it? The entire point of a system like this is to detect incipient problems with plenty of time to take corrective action. The equipment was functional, but no equipment can do anything about human stupidity. Where did that equipment communicates due to its design or what people do with the information if it is communicated? Damn written policy and limitless to Hades. If you're an operating engineer with two firing neurons in your head, a sort of condition that any reasonable person who has an IQ sufficient to be trusted with dangerous machinery is nearly certain to degrade beyond safe limits based on the data you have before you can get to the next confirmatory signaling device. You stop now and find out what is going on. If we had people like this designing and operating our nuclear and chemical plants, and you know damn well that we almost certainly do, it is only a matter of time where one or more of our cities glows in the dark. Prison now! And get rid of every other person in, in safety critical position who cannot do basic math in their head 30 seconds in a situation like this when you have plenty of warning or who will not immediately in such a situation shut it down along with anyone who puts together a system who deliberately withholds trend information that strongly suggests failure will occur based on what it observes. No fucking exceptions. We will have details on this particular story in next week's episode because it could be that we will have some idea on whether if it was ignored or this was a systematic computer error and where is it going to be fixed if that is the case, if the latter is the case. Another major story that people might not be noticing, but will may become a very interesting story in the future if, and I do mean if, people will look at it. Razor Fist on Twitter made a state, made a post dealing with Testimony at the oversight hearings in Arizona and Jackie Berger, which is one of the people that is there is speaking in this 42 minute video. They presented evidence. Jackie Berger presented evidence before the Senate of Arizona that Arizona politicians, including Christian Cinema and the governor, Kate Hobbs, were laundering drug cartel money through false house deeds and mortgages, possibly to fund their campaigns.
That means that the D was falsified. And then they have a, the Jackie, Mrs. Burger showed this particular thing to the game. We'll show it to um others as well during this investigation. They're saying that the deeds were falsified and there are drug connections, human trafficking, AKA prostitution connections with the drug cartels. You know what drug cartels we're talking about. They're talking about Sinaloa and other particular drug cartels. They're trying to figure out if this can be, if this has legs. Folks, if this has legs, it is going to be absolutely crazy. Crazy beyond belief. So we will keep you notified on this particular story. But if you have time to watch the 42 minutes there, I, I think it's on YouTube as now, there as well. It's a little longer though. They are planning to do something to, they're planning the Fed to write some sort of book detailing all the information that they have here. So we're gonna see what, where is it going to head? But this is so Damning, especially considering they concentrated on two counties, the county that hosts Phoenix, which is Maricopa County and Yucca County. So it is going to be a fascinating thing if this story and this issues can be connected to, to both the Senator of Arizona and the recently gotten the governor there over there as well. So we'll be watching this story and in two weeks there might be something really interesting and it could go really far as it were. Space News. James Webb Telescope is continuing to Shake up. Be as strong as strong in ways it cannot possibly imagine. The recent the images that have come out are saying that there are and there sits particular galaxies. They're all formed between 500,000 500, to 700,000 million years after the Big Bang. Scientists are saying that it should not be there. It shouldn't be there. And people are going absolutely crazy that this could effectively 
change the way these things are handled concerning with the universe. Is the universe much older than we are claimed? Is it getting close to the beginning of the universe? Or is there no end? Or we're seeing possibly proto-universe events? You never know. But that is absolutely wild that we're seeing very, very old galaxies with this telescope, which is pretty amazing, by the way. And finally, let's talk about a very interesting rabbit hole dealing with the Apollo missions. Let's talk about a young lady by the name of Margaret Hamilton. If you know Margaret Hamilton, yes. They said all the coding was done by her or she was the main lead of the coders and all the rest of it. Well, Twitter got a very interesting history for you about Mrs. Hamilton. Yes, she did work on Apollo. certain things were exaggerated for the 2016 2022 era let me explain this is from echo and media on twitter what an incredible rabbit hole margaret hamilton awarded the president mentor of freedom for leading the team that created the onboard flight software for the apollo missions and wasn't even hired until the completed software have already flown to the moon in Apollo 8. A team of 400 men worked for years to create the software of the two Apollo, Bull, Apollo AP-8GCs. Sometime around the release date, Hamilton is hired and promoted by her husband, quote-unquote, from a beginner role to be the charge of the command module software on which her name does not appear until at least 1969. The exact date of Hamilton's 68th entry hire and hasty promotion to software lead both times by the man she married in 1969, mind you, months after the delivered product have already gone to the moon in Apollo 8. Below is a commentary source of Apollo computer software units and software development personnel over the course of the program. The software's finalized is delivered in 1968 and flies to the moon in Apollo 8. The first release with Margaret Hamilton is in charge is right about the end point of the thing. What incredible courage for this guy to hand Apollo CM software leadership over to the junior programmer Margaret Hamilton, the only woman in the entire team of 400 who he completely coincidentally end up marrying the very next year. I encountered no discrimination at all, says woman with same last name of man who hired and promoted her. Hamilton, Miss Dan Licky, another woman in text, said story. The article completes the picture. 1968 Apollo software is done, transitions to bug fits, most strengths, head count, and is no longer a prestige project. The boss then likely hires his soon-to-be wife and Margaret Hamilton to take his place and quits to start his own company. 
Not only did Hamilton did not leave the Apollo software as implied by the media, but her entire tenure in the program is suspect because 10% was arranged by her husband who hired her, mentored her, and she was given a small team and then promoted her immediately before their marriage. Hamilton was employed in 1965-68 at the lowest level of the CM organization chart. After Apollo 8, she was promoted by Licky to lead that department. After Apollo 11, CM and team were combined into one organized load with her in charge of both. Both LM and CM software were completed and flew to the moon before Hamilton was put in charge of them. There is no grounds to say she led the program development Obama administration state or it was her cold thoughts article various tweets. So they said they did. They were just looking at this particular situation. People are just saying, oh, and there we were lied to, this, that, and the other thing. So they said it, and then they said, oh, most of Margaret Hamilton's word on Apollo Code was what she was a system engineer in MIT Instrumentation Lab, which NASA contracted to write the software for the command module and landing module. You don't need a head administrator to lead a project. But she was still in there. One particular person said here, his foster father built a prototype radio te telephony for Gemini. He never saw a woman for years as that some computerist who would double check the mass. So that's a very interesting article, a very interesting tweet that, the, that says that the media doesn't do its due diligence as it were. That there was an actual lead who actually did the particular computing work for the computer modules and all the rest of it. Yes, she may have been have a hand in a lot of the things that in certain things, both in MIT and then later in NASA. However, 400 men helped did the work of the main did the part of the project. See, the whole thing has to be seen in a holistic fashion, folks. It's not just one person doing the job. It's 400 people. This is this something that has to deal with the moon. So if it's 400 people, then you can understand how large these books are. And when she did not lead the project until much later and led everything else after Apollo 12, basically. So let's just leave it there and keep it a buck. Nobody's diminishing anything. It's just that the media tends to overhype, especially during Me Too on women's accomplishments when, yes, they were there, but of course you forget that, again, with Ada Lovelace, she had the best education money could buy, and you don't forget she was the legitimate heir of Lord Byron. I'm just saying, folks. I'm just saying. So, next week we will have a brand new full episode of Beyond This Earth. Thank you for listening to this shortened edition of Beyond This Earth. This is Novid Hallback. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Radio Public, 
Now on Stitcher, Odyssey, iHeartRadio Music Podcast, and where Amazon Music, and wherever you get your radio shows. We will soon have the interviews on Clubhouse, Spotify Live, and Stereo. And all that is coming soon. So for all of us here on Beyond This Earth, this is Nova Harbeck. We'll see you guys next week on an all-new episode of Beyond This Earth.